2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we'll find ourselves today. We have been looking, except for last week, at this issue of giving. I'll catch you up. Uh, you remember first quarter of the year actually ended up being uh, more, more like four months of the year we dealt with doctrine. And then the second quarter of the year um, is to deal with practical Christian living. Uh, you're going to find you'll like doctrine better. Because doctrine, all you got to do is go, <clears throat> okay, I learned something new, amen, that's great, God's sovereign, hallelujah. Um, practical Christian living's on you. And you're going to find that it's, it's going to cut cross grain. Not to say the first one can't, should, but you're going to find that, that dealing with what we're dealing with in both messages today is, is man, it hits us where we live, right? It's us in our homes and our marriages, as Jonathan began the series last week on the family. And we've been looking at money. And so not only am I going to touch you, we're fa- touching your family, we're touching your wallet. We're touching, touching your, your, um, uh, your, your checkbook, um, the way that you live your life. And, and, and I remember years ago um, when we lived in Raleigh, WRAL-TV, we, we liked the weatherman there. Um, and one time he... The camera didn't get off of him <clears throat> quick enough, and he said, "Get off!" And it was sort of startling to the people watching it. And he had explained later what that meant. Sort of, he said it was a technical term. This ain't technical to me. It sounded like get the camera off of me. That's what it meant. And so that's going to be your response today. Get off. Okay. You can talk about something else. You can talk about the sovereignty of God. You can talk about doctrine. But when it comes to this stuff like this, we start getting. Nervous, we start getting anxious. I've heard pastors who've said that they've finished their ministry and never preached on money. Well, we've got a command of preaching the whole counsel of God. I don't, I don't know how we avoid this issue, uh, but we, we talk about it. And uh, no, no better place to find doctrine finding its place in our everyday living than in these two issues, in our homes and in our wallets. And this is where we are. We've been looking at this text in Second Corinthians uh, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and following. And, and I just want to catch you up real quick. Let me remind you, we've gone through eight of these. And so I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, we find out that giving is driven by grace. We find it in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given on, of the churches at Macedonia. He says it again in verse 6. So you should complete among you this act of grace. He says it in verse 7. See that you excel in this grace also. This is an issue of grace. And I mean that by two ways. And when I preached it the first time, I think I didn't do enough for the second one. One is a response to grace. I mean, how do, how do, we, how do we respond to the Lord of the grace that He's given in our lives? If it weren't for grace, where would we be? I mean, we, we start looking at it, and we, we look at some of the worst people in the world, and you say, man, they, they would really be, be awed by grace. You heard testimonies up here uh, last Sunday, you hear, and, and you heard everybody's got a different story, but it's a different story of grace. I warn them, and as, if you come up to get I warn you as well, don't make more out of your sin than you make out of grace. 
It's grace. We need to know where you came from. We need to know a little bit about that. But we need to know about the grace of God that was shed in your life. And so, and one side of this is driven by grace that God has shed this grace in us and our response to that. The other issue is this, that giving is an act of grace. Yes. Like salvation is an act of grace, giving will be an act of grace. You, you see somebody, I, I use this illustration, you see somebody that's, let's say they're a drunkard, or let's say they're, they're, their speech is horrible, and they get transformed by grace. And it doesn't mean that immediately their speech is cleared up. Okay? It, it doesn't mean that, they, that immediately the, 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 the taste of alcohol, the love of alcohol, is immediately vanished away. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It's a... It's a work, but it's an act of grace that God has shed. In the, and you see that person change. You, you expect to see that he puts off lying and puts on the truth, right? That our homes are different. Well, the same thing's true here. As God starts working in us and showing us from the Word what our finances are supposed to be, God will open our eyes by His grace. And we'll surrender. We will. We'll, we'll surrender. It may take a while. I've seen I've seen people who um, didn't get this message, and and they lived the early part of their life as a free for all. They couldn't get enough credit cards. They couldn't get enough. They wanted everything, and and by the time they had been married five or ten years, they owe they owe more to the credit card company than you could ever imagine. They find themselves living out what the scripture says that. You're a slave to the lender. And then the Lord saves them. And they go, wow, I want to honor the Lord my finances, but I'm in a mess. Yeah, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while to, to work out it, but God grants grace in that. So this is an act of grace. It's driven by grace. It's also, verse 2, it's driven even in difficult circumstances for the severe test of affliction of their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave even in difficult circumstances. They gave, latter part of verse 2, they gave out of the depth of joy. It was their joy to give. God, and we find in chapter chapter 9, we'll look at in just a few moments, chapter 9 and verse 7, we find that the Lord loves a, to what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. God sheds his love. Yes, hilarious hilarious giver. It's a joy. It's an overflowing joy, but it's motivated by this depth of joy. Not only what the Lord has done, but really what you're giving to. What you're giving to. The spread of the gospel or to meet needs among the church or even to provide for your elders. That There's a desire and there's a passion to say, I, I give out of joy. Number four, it was also in the depth of poverty we find at the end of verse 2 uh, that, that their extreme poverty. If there's anybody be should be giving an off be have an offering given to them, it was this church. This is the church that should have had people giving to them, not them giving. But they gave even in the in the depth of their own poverty. Number five, we looked at it in the latter part of verse two, that in this wealth of generosity on their part. In other words, it's a riches or this wealth or this singularity or sincerity of heart is what he's talking about. They gave with a devotion of heart, a singleness of heart. And of course, in this offering that he's taking up is for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. 
And Paul's told them about it and told them about it. And of course, you know the history of the church at Corinth. There were some letters that exchanged hands. Paul had to call them to task. And only now is he going to be aware of the promise you made years ago about taking up an offering. I'm going to find out if it's true. We'll find out if it's going to really happen. He talks about that later on in the chapter. But they gave with a singleness of heart. Number six, in the first part of verse three, they gave according to their means. They gave within their ability. Listen, you can't give what you don't have. Right? You can't. Some of you might, might be a person sitting here, you could write a check for $10,000. That's fine. Okay? And I'm not asking for $10,000 checks today. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But some could, and it wouldn't hurt. Some of you, <laughs> that's a joke, right? You want me to do what? When? Can we put it on an easy payment plan over the next 30 years? Okay, You, you couldn't do that if your life depended on it. But they, they gave of, yeah, to, according to their own ability. God doesn't ask you to give what you don't have. Number seven, but they also gave sacrificially. Not only according to their means, and he says, I give testimony to that. I, I know what these people have or don't have. But beyond their means of their own accord, they, they even gave sacrificially. I, I don't know what that means for you. We're going to talk about percentage here in just a moment, as we did a few weeks ago. But, but sacrificial for one person is not sacrificial for another. Mm-hmm. This is the reason we need to get away from the percentage issue. You say, well, if you make $30,000 a year, 10% of that's, 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 a, that's 10%. That's what that is. That's a hunk. But you make $9 billion a year, What's $900 million to you? Nothing. It's nothing to you. This is, this is, this is, this is an issue of... Am I, am I giving, not only according to my needs, I can't give what I don't have, but am, am I giving sacrificially to? Whatever that means. And number eight, in the latter part of verse three, they, of their own accord, they, this is giving... Number eight is to be voluntary of their own accord. One who chooses his own course of action is the phrase. Look at verse 17 in the same chapter. He not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest is going to you of his own accord. I'm not talking about money in this, in this issue, but talking about his, his own desire, his own will. Not, he's not driven there in that text even by obligation. Paul didn't set up an appointment he's got to keep. He's going of his own accord. He was going of his own free will. You that know me know that I struggle with that one. Okay, okay? But that's the only place it's used in Scripture and it's the only way it's used in Scripture is talking about an offering that's given without obligation and without constraint. Okay? but they were giving of their own accord. Or in that text, he was going of his own accord. Not coerced. Not manipulated. Not intimidated. But in our text here, they gave, verse 3, they gave freely. They were compelled, not, not by coerceness nor manipulation or intimidation, they were compelled by concern and care. They were, they, were, they were compelled by love and compassion. That's what drove them. 
chapter 9. Look over at chapter 9. Look at verse 2. For I know your, your readiness of which I boast about you to the peace of Macedonia, saying that, that they of Achaia have been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. In other words, what you've done has become contagious. They want to be. They want to be stirred up like that. They, they want to be a part of that. That look at verse 4, beginning of verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. We'll talk more about this in a moment, but it means to employ, to plead. We find it in Luke 5, Luke 9. You're in 2 Corinthians. Look over at chapter 5. Look at verse uh, 20. 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We employ you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Employ you. That's the word. It means to beg. They voluntary, voluntarily gave right from the heart. And of course, a couple of weeks ago we answered this question, well, Pastor, well, what about the tithe? And we spent some time on this, and as we went back in the Old Testament, we find that the word tithe does mean the tenth. That's what it means. That's what the root word means. It means it both in Greek and Hebrew. But when we dig further, we find that there was not just one tenth that was given. There were several tenths that were given. There was a tenth that was given, and it went to the tribe of Levi. Remember the tribe of Levi? They were the, they were, remember, we're not dealing with democracy. We're dealing with a theocracy. God is in charge, and God has a tribe under him, the Levites, who run the country for him. And they're not allowed to own land. They're not allowed to have jobs. Well, how are they supplied for? Through this tent that they give. It goes to the tribe of Levi. There was another tent that was given, and it was for the feast. For all the feasts that the Lord is requiring them to have. You could say, several people put it this way, it was for community. You know, we do that here, by the way. The coffee that you're going to have in just a few moments. Who provided that? We did. It's a part of community. The plates. Now sometimes we have plates and coffee donated, but most of the time we're, we're buying those. That's part of community. The, the light bill, who do you think pays that? Who, who do you think pays the rent payment or the insurance? Uh, what is that? That's all part of community. Well, this is what they were doing. This was this in the Old Testament. That second tenth was going to community. It was going to provide for the feast. There was another tent that was given every three years and it was for the poor or you could call it the welfare system. So if you want to do it every year, if you want to lay it aside, that would be another three and a third percent that you're giving. So we're up to 23 and a third percent. That's not, long, that's not 10%. But we're not done yet. There was the first fruits offering of everything that you gave. The first of it was to give to the Lord. You're to trust Him. You're to trust Him that you're going to have rains that's going to bring in the second crop and you're going to trust Him that He's going to keep thieves out. So there was another one. There was the, there was the gleaning. I call it the gleaning rule. If you had a, a piece of land and you laid it off square, you could not harvest the corners. Remember Ruth? Yes. Okay. She was a gleaning in the corners. They had to leave the corners of the field for the poor. Also, along with that line, if you were like did grapes and you dropped a cluster of grapes, you were required not to pick it up. Why? Because it was for the poor. God's providing for the poor. This is, this is the gleaning rule. There was also a, a shekel tax, temple tax that 
those also. And not to mention every seven years the land was to lie dormant. You had no income. I looked up several people, including not just theologians, MacArthur, Piper, other people like that, but also looked up some, some finance people. And they, they, if you want to total this up, it's somewhere between 27 and 30%. So, hey, we want to go the tide direction? Let's do it. <laughs> we can do that. Okay? Are we commanded to in the New Testament? No. No. The other tithes that were given, Abram gave one of the spoils that he gave. Who did he give it to? Melchizedek. And it was not of everything that he had. It was just the spoils. It was just the best of the best given to Melchizedek. There was a tithe given by Jacob, but you don't want to use Jacob as an example of anything. That was a bribe. Lord, if you'll do this, I'll give you that. And I'm, I'm afraid the truth's known sometimes that's that's how we bargain with the Lord if we're not careful. Lord, if you'll, you'll bless this, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an extra 10%. I, I tell you what, um, how about you give him 90%, you keep 10%, see how this goes. That's not the way we do it, right? So be careful. I'm not saying that's always true, but you've got to check your heart. I can't judge that. You and the Lord have to judge that. Are you judging it to... That you're more worried about the 90% than the 10% you're trying to buy him off with? But that's Jacob. We had some others. There was also voluntary giving, free will giving, if you would. No restriction, no requirement. When they took it for the sanctuary in Exodus 25, it says those whose hearts moved him to give, they could give. And of course you remember, what was the problem? They took up so much stuff they couldn't use it all. First Chronicles 29, there was the temple money or stuff that was given that David was trying to lay aside for Solomon to build the temple. But that was also free will offering. So, we have driven by grace, difficult circumstances, depth of joy, in poverty, in singleness of heart, within our ability and beyond our ability, and completely voluntary. Number nine, also looking in verse four, I'm, I touch this a little bit, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Giving that is begging to participate, to employ, to plead. The word favor there is, is the word we find for grace. They're literally begging for, for the blessing of helping to meet the needs of believers they had never met. Do you hear me? They were literally begging for the blessing of helping to meet the needs of believers they had never met. They did so not out of a sense of obligation, I have to, but out of generosity of their own transformed heart. What does Matthew 6 tell us? Turn back there, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is... teaching in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9, Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. 
but lay free up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You need to underline that. That's not underlined in your Bible. And you need to ask yourself that question. I can't answer that for you. You have to answer it. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he talking about? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. To serve, to be slave, to be devoted to. We find this in this whole issue of slave, that we're slaves of righteousness in Romans 6, don't we? That we are no longer slaves of sin, but now slaves of righteousness. We now belong to the Lord. But we no longer serve two masters. Because we're either slave to one or devoted to the other, or we hate or detest or love less or esteem less the others. The love there, agapao, to sacrifice for, to be controlled by, to give myself for. For he's devoted to one, hold to, cling to, committed to, or despise, to scorn, or disregard. You will love, cling to, and serve and be a slave of God or you'll be a slave to riches. You cannot love and serve, cannot be a slave to both at the same time. You can't love God, be a slave to God, and a slave to money at the same time. can't be possible. So that's the question, isn't it? Who or what do you love? See, I told you, see, you're talking about doctrine, this is. Who or what do you love? Who or, who or what do you serve? And by the way, this is an either or, not a both and. Right? This is an either or, not a both and. There are no third options. You either love one and hate the other, or you're going to hate this one, love this one, or you're going to hate the other. That's the options. You can't do both at the same time. So, they begged them for for the opportunity to give. Because they didn't love the world. Of course, you you could argue that they didn't have much of the world to love. Right? Wow. Number 10, back to our text, first part of verse 5. And this not as we expected, but gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Number 10, giving here is an act or priority of worship. They gave themselves first to the Lord. First, first in priority. First priority, to give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord, to give uh, to their church and those who followed after. They, that was the priority of their life. They, they gave like that. 
Turn to Romans chapter 12. You, you know this text. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable or, or, or expedient service. Spiritual worship, the way it is in the ESV. This is worship. Giving of ourselves to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That is our spiritual worship. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of mind that you may test and discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is an act of of worship. Listen, when we give, it's a part of our worship. It's a part of visibly putting the Lord first. It's a visible part of placing the Lord above all else. It's making Him the priority. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter two. Beginning in verse one. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spirit, as spiritual house, a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is this act of worship. Only as our lives are presented and lived out for the glory of God will giving reflect that act of worship. No more than you give to make yourself holy, you don't give to make yourself worship. You can't make yourself more holy. In other words, you're before the Lord in in your judicial standing, right? Okay? We're not, we're not given to make ourselves more holy. He has declared us holy through Christ, of the work of Christ. Amen. Okay? I'm not talking about separated from sin. I'm talking about in relationship to our holiness. But, but we don't give to make ourselves more, uh, ourselves more worshipful. You first worship and you give out of that worship, or the overflow of that worship. You're worshiping and you give out of the overflow of that worship to the Lord. So it's not a question about, am I giving? The question is, are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the Lord in this area of giving? Only when it is from a devoted life given to Christ holy does financial giving become an acceptable act of worship. When writer said, let's be honest. Giving is an issue, not how much we have, but an issue of worship. But what are we worshiping? What is the priority of our life? What has first place in us? 
This is the work that we must do. Back to our text. Number 11, giving not only an act of worship, but giving is an issue of leadership or submission to leadership. Second part of verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Look at verse 6. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so should he complete among you this very act of grace. Look over at verse 10. And in this matter, I gave my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's an acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person has not. In other words, Paul came to the church. He started talking about those that were suffering in Jerusalem. And they started, can we, can we participate in that? And I'm sure Paul's going, well, um, maybe we should be taking up offerings for you. No, we, we want to be a part of this. And so Paul admonished them to give. Paul, Paul led them in that. Titus came back and shored them up. Listen, you promised that you're going to give. Let's make sure that we keep our promises. Let's do what we said we would do so that when Paul comes, we're not going to be embarrassed by not giving. So what I'm saying is they gave in submission to their leadership. Hebrews 13, verse 17, be submission to those that rule over you. 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 just a minute. I think we fail to remember this sometimes when we talk about leadership. Ephesians chapter 4. Think, think with me just a moment. Um, do, do you think it was a blessing from the Lord that Paul ended up at Corinth preaching? Was that by accident or was, was that God's doing? It's God's doing. Okay. Was it God's doing that he ended up in Rome? Yes. Okay. Alright. Of course, he didn't end up in Colossae, but it was God's doing that Epaphras came to find him in Ephesus and goes back and starts the church. And so all that's ordained of the Lord. So you could say Paul's a blessing to the church. Paul was a, a gift of God to the church. He was a blessing. Did you know that your elders are that kind of blessing? Yes. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. For he, Christ, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness or craftiness and deep, defeatful schemes. Verse 11, He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, shepherds teachers. He gave them. Any pastor, one writer says, any pastor who leads his people to give leads them to experience grace. It is God's grace that moves them to give. It is God's grace in the giving. It is God who graciously resupplies. You simply expose yourself to grace upon grace upon grace. 
And when you teach people to give, you're not impoverishing them. You're not, you are enriching them with grace upon grace. And so he says, we sent Titus to complete in you that gracious work as well, just like it was being completed among the Macedonians. And they responded. Macedonians followed their leaders. That's the kind of example that we are to follow. So giving is also an issue of leadership. Number 12, just a few more. Giving is like all the other virtues or values that we have. Look at verse 7 of our text. But you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, in all earnestness, and all love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Giving is not contrary to what is in the heart. For that would be hypocrisy. But to compliment, you excel in everything, abound in this as well. You abound to overflow. You're secure in it. You're satisfied. You're satisfying faith. You have a strong trust and reliance in the Lord. But notice how he he describes here not only faith, but in speech, statement, doctrine. You have the right doctrine. We read that today out of our doctrinal statement. We've got the right doctrine. We, we read doctrine. And he's, he's praising them for the right doctrine, the right speech they have. They have the right knowledge, the ability to apply doctrine to the issues of life. Wisdom, if you would. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, don't turn here, but verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him in everything. It says the same thing and similar to that in chapter 4, verse 6. Let the light shine in darkness that's shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, listen, you're, you're excelling in doctrine you're excelling in, in knowledge and wisdom. You're even excelling in, look at verse 7, in all earnestness, in energy. You're, you've got a spiritual passion for ministry and to help people. This is, this is I'm, I'm admonishing you. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see. Notice uh, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 11. For see what earnestness this godless grief has produced in you but also with, with eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment, and every point you proved yourself innocent of this matter. And although I wrote to you, it is not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, but for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. All I'm pointing out to is the words energy. This, this was an energy. This was a spiritual passion that they had. Well, you're excelling that. Man, I, I, I brag about you all the time, he said. I brag about the way that you give. I brag about not only your knowledge, but your wisdom and your zeal, your earnestness. But I also brag about one other thing. I, I brag about your love in, in our love for you. Agapao, self-sacrificing love. You excel in saving, securing, satisfying faith, sanctifying faith. You excel in doctrine. You know what you believe. You excel in knowledge. You have wisdom. You know how to apply truth. 
You excel in your zeal for spiritual things, your passion for them. You excel in your love for us. And then he says, see that you excel in this grace also. What grace? This grace of giving. Yes. You, ever, you ever pray for one another? Should. Pray that they would know more doctrine, that they, they would know better how to rightly divide the word of truth. And he'd pray that for everybody, especially our young people. Lord, pray that they would they know what they believe and why they believe it. Lord, I pray for wisdom for, for each other. We, we should pray for wisdom, Lord, that they would know how to apply truth in their life. And yes. Listen, when, when we share, come on Wednesday night and we share things, a lot of things is sickness or those type of things, but some of the stuff that we're praying for is wisdom for people. Yes. That they would know how to choose or how to, how to pick what's best, how, how, to, how to live out doctrine in their life, how to, how to do that. I pray for your energy. I pray for your passion. I hope you. I hope what when Bob comes back tells you about Zimbabwe with us that it creates in you a a, a passion to say, man, I, I want to see these people train. I I get excited when I I see new churches started. I I get excited when I see four people gathered in a in a pond so they can protect the one that's getting getting baptized. I I well, I, I'm glad they're doing it, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm that's not me, but. I showed it to uh, I showed it to one preacher the other day, and he said, "People willing to stand in a pond or edge of a river and guard them from hippos and alligators and crocodiles so they could be baptized. Would you do that? But you see the zeal. I'm I'm saying that's contagious, isn't it? It's contagious. Contagious that we'd love one another more." And better. But do you ever pray that they would excel in this grace also? Lord, teach us how to give more. Help, help us to make you the priority and not only in our life and in our knowledge and our wisdom and our love for one another, but Lord, make it a passion for us in our giving that we know how to give. Two more. Giving is an act of, of the proof of love. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. This is not a command. But to prove, to put to test, to examine, to approve by testing what? That your love is genuine. Friday was an anniversary at my house. Not a normal anniversary. You know that are on Facebook with me know what I'm talking about. Forty years ago Friday, I told my wife, now, my girlfriend then, that I loved her for the first time. You say, you actually kept track of that. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, some of you struggle with the anniversary of when you got engaged. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I let Can I let let you in on a secret? If you'll pick about the same date, you don't have to remember, but the month. Okay. 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 Some have said we've all heard the joke. Well, I told you 40 years ago I loved you, and if I make, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. Okay. One of those things. 
right? <laughs> so how long did y'all date before you told her? Three months. So why did you wait so long? Because I don't know if you've ever had this done to you, but somebody tell you they love you and then they turned out they didn't. And I love you was a cheap. Right. It was a cheap knockoff, is what it was. Well, I'd been hurt. She'd been hurt. And I made a promise to her that I wouldn't tell her until I meant what I said. This giving is that kind of proof. That's right. It proves the genuineness. It proves the earnestness. Uh, through your zeal for the earnestness for others in their genuineness, that's true, authentic, totally legitimate. It's traceable. The earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. In other words, it's traceable. It's, it's one thing to say that you love somebody and you never do anything for them. It's another thing to say, I love you, and you demonstrate that by action. Whether that be flowers or an act of service or words of encouragement, we, we do things to show the proof of the genuineness of our love. That's what giving is. We say we love. Do we give like that? One writer says many, many people are under the illusion that they love because they feel things. Your love, is, your love is not measured by what you feel. It's measured by your actions. Your actions may disprove your assessment or your feelings. Giving is always the test of love. And that's, that's, the, that's the high point. The Macedonians here are our model. They showed us that giving is to be initiated by grace, that it's a supernatural kind of giving. It's transcendent even past difficult circumstances, that it's done with joy. It's not hindered in poverty. It's generous, proportionate, sacrificial, voluntary. It's a privilege, not an obligation. It's part of worship. It's done in submission to, to leadership but it's in concert and harmony with other Christian virtues, and it is to prove our love to God and to His church and to His people. And that's the Macedonians' giving. They gave that way. They gave to demonstrate, to prove their love. Yes. Lastly, turn over to chapter 9. We're going to finish this today. Chapter 9, look at verses 6 and verse 7. The point is, Whoever sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You can't outgive God. You can't do it. Verse 7 Each one must give as he decides in his heart. It's up to you, it's between you and the Lord. I have no clue. None of the elders have any clue what anybody gives. That's the way it always has been and will always will be. That is between you and the Lord. You have to decide. But you're to give it not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And I'll be honest with you, I've been reading that incorrectly. What is, let me ask this question, what is a cheerful giver? It's one who gives by purposing in his own heart, predetermined, not impulsive. 
in his own heart, not grudgingly, not reluctantly, not, not out of grief or sorrow or affliction or heavy-hearted or to be groaning when you put the check in. Right? Keep it. But that person that gives with this cheerful, hilarious, not, and I don't want to put it off on the side of laughing because it's funny, but it's a joy to give. Yes. Yes. It creates a man, I wish I could I wish I had ten thousand to give. Yes. I wish I had more to give. We're giving out the abundance of flow of our heart. And what does this person experience? Experience of where God loves a cheerful giver. He experiences God's love. Yes. The verb. Love, it takes action, it takes pleasure, and God takes pleasure in the person who gives like that. Remember growing up as a kid and making something for mom and daddy, and it was terrible. It was horrible. Colored outside of the lines, all this kind of stuff. But if you had a good mom and dad, what was the response? Oh, it's beautiful. Put it up on the. I've got. We got them up on our refrigerator now. Grandkids. And it's hideous looking, but but it's my grand. It's my my grandkid from the art from the standpoint of art. It's terrible, but from the standpoint of they're just demonstrating their love for Papa. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It ain't much. How do you think the Lord responds? Mm-hmm. It's not much. But it's my child. He's given all he's got. He's given it out of joy. Mm. It's a heart that's thrilled with giving. John Piper says this is an utterly wonderful truth about God. You may feel it if you can imagine what the universe would be like if God were not like this. What if God were like a father who was basically irritated by happy children? What if our Christmas morning little child has wrapped some clay hands in a praying position that they made in pottery class at school with a poem to his mom that says, I made these hands the size of mine and make a promise, and, and make a promise too. Would you please take them as a sign that I will pray for you? And, and what if this father, if he's excited, this kid's excited about giving this gift to his mother that he can hardly sit still and he says, open this one next, mommy. Open this one next. And the father snaps, just shut up and sit down. Be still. She'll get to it. Or worse, what if his joy, joylessness was so great that he said, what are you so excited about? They're just some crummy praying hands. If God were like that, the universe would collapse into a black hole of nothingness for me. So you can see why I love verse 7, this writer says. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when His children are happy in their giving. God joins every childlike saint on the edge of His throne to see and to savor the joy of every gift given and every gift received. God cannot be irritated by excessive joy in giving because there's no such thing. 
The heavens are the limit. And he's pushing us in this text to as much joy as we can possibly experience. God enjoys our, your enjoyment and generosity. God engages all his omnipotent to be the happy God. And therefore he will have a happy and generous people. When you set your heart to be a part of the rhythm of joyous and generous joy, you tap, when you do that, you tap into the infinite source of divine power, God's sovereign love of cheerful giving. So giving is driven by grace. It's given in difficult circumstances. It's given in the depth of joy. It's given in the depth of poverty. It's given with a singleness and singularity of heart. It's given within my ability and beyond my ability. It's given voluntarily and not mandatory. I'm not under pressure. I'm begging an act of participation. I'm begging to take part of it. It's a priority or an act of worship. It's in submission to my leaders. It's part of the value of the virtues that I long to to build up in my life. It's a proof of my sincere love. And it's from a cheerful heart and life. I end where I ended a couple of weeks ago. We pray for a burden for the lost. Pray that God would give them, give us a passion for sinners. Pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. But do we pray, God, help me to make giving a priority in my life? Lord, give me a passion to give. Give me a burden to give. Help me to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Help me to love the world less and your kingdom more. Help me to give you the first, the best, the right off the top, to know what it is to live by faith and not by sight. See, I'm afraid, truth be known, we might rather know some percentage to give so that we don't have to judge our love for the Lord and for His work. Let's pray. Father, we, we've been stripped this morning before this text. And Father, I pray that we do a work now. That your Holy Spirit would bring conviction. That as much as we want to grow in, in knowledge and doctrine and, and wisdom... The application of of that, even in our zeal, Lord, I pray that we'd grow in this grace also. We know what it means to give. Give the best. Give right off the top. And Lord, it's not a matter of the amount. You know, some of us don't have it. We're in the abundance of poverty, some would say. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And to know our Heavenly Father, when He sees us with that kind of earnestness and desire, 
irregardless of the gift, you take pleasure in it. Because you love a cheerful, hilarious giver. Father, I pray that you'd fill our church with those types of people. And Father, do a work of grace in us. In the quiet of this moment, help us to do, to do inventory. How are we living? How are we giving? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. May we grow in it by the grace of our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.